This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hello there. I hope you're all doing well. Welcome to another episode of the Bird Hugger Podcast. What is it like to create a community pollinator garden? Today, we have Lynn Parshall from Lyme, New Hampshire with us to talk about the challenges and the joys of creating a community pollinator garden for her town. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, Please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. And now I'd like to welcome Lynn Parshall to the show. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, it's wonderful to have you on the show. So now for our listening audience, could you please tell them about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. My name is Lynn Parshall. I am retired and I retired to the Upper Valley from San Diego. And people think that's sort of crazy. But in my prior life, I was an executive running a biotechnology company in San Diego. Now in retirement, I keep myself busy by sitting on boards of directors, private companies, public companies, nonprofit companies, and getting involved in community activities, including being Mm -hmm. program director of the Utility Club, which is how this Pollinator Garden Project came about. Now, you're program director of the Utility Club in Lyme, New Hampshire. Tell me what that entails. The Utility Club is a women's service organization in Lyme that's been around for over a hundred years. It involves lots of principally older women because we meet during the day, although we are increasing our ranks to uh, entice some of the younger members. And one of my jobs as program director is to find a lot of really interesting things for our members to get involved in. A broader range of women would be interested in. Our motto is to help the community. And so our projects tend to be focused on Lyme in the broader Upper Valley community. And some of our key focuses are on aging in place and food security. So we've been supporters of the Lyme Food Pantry, for example. Willing Hands that is a big supporter of the Lyme Food Pantry as well as the Lyme Parish Nurse, which is a nursing support program that provides services to many, many people in the Lyme community. That is wonderful. So tell me, how did the idea of native gardening come up with the utility club? Typically in the winter, certainly since COVID, we have had at least one of our meetings in the winter be a Zoom meeting. And our Zoom meeting this past winter was with Alicia Hauk of Wild Garden Alliance. And Alicia is a 
very strong and vocal proponent of native gardening and of creating pollinator habitats, principally focused now in the Upper Valley. So we had Alicia come and she did a really wonderful talk and she has been very generous with her time in the broader community. She's given OSHA classes and talks to a whole variety of different groups and garden clubs and conservation commissions and just promoting the idea of pollinator gardens. So after that, we were at a utility club executive committee meeting and we were talking about programs and a variety of different things that we might have coming up for the 2023-2024 year. And I said, wouldn't it be interesting if we were to create a pollinator garden in Lyme as a demonstration garden to benefit the community and really serve as an educational resource? And when I did it, I just kind of threw it out there. I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about it. It was just an idea that came to me in the meeting and I thought I'd put it on the table. And people very rapidly gravitated towards it and thought that's a great idea. What would we have to do? Can we come up with a project plan? We went on and shared it with our membership and just had this groundswell of support for this hands-on program that the utility club could sponsor with the idea of getting broader community involvement and creating something that would have lasting value to the community. So that's, that's what kicked it off. Well, that is wonderful. I think you ladies are at the cutting edge. Well, we know how to get our hands dirty. <laughs> so now tell me, do you have a native garden at your home? I do. I have a house with a big meadow of wildflowers. And then I have some more cultivated garden around the house. But over time, as it's gravitated sort of from the garden of the people who owned it before me to my garden, I've planted more and more native plants. So my what I would call a formal garden, although it's not very formal, is a combination that's maturing more to the native plant side. Although I've got to say, I don't think I could ever get rid of my peonies. And then I've got meadows and woods surrounding the meadows that we've been planting in wildflowers and in native plants like elderberries and dogwoods and winterberry and all of these things along the edge of our wood to uh, begin to repopulate with more natives. That's great. Now, what are some of your favorite native plants? Oh, so many. Right now, I love the dogwoods because my alternate leaf dogwood is flowering and it's just so gorgeous. But my wild geraniums are flowering and they are a beautiful ground cover. I have Solomon seal that's just finishing up that is just majestic. And I know it's these tall green spikes with little flowers that come down from it. It's really lovely. I have a, a little shade garden where I have three different kinds of trillium and Jack in the pulpit and bleeding heart. But coming up, two of my very favorites, which are related to each other, are cardinal flower and the great blue lobelia, which get tall with beautiful blue and red flower stalks on them. That's wonderful. So now swinging back to this new native garden in town, tell me, how was the location chosen? So we were very fortunate in the location because that was the first thing we were going to really need to scratch our heads about. And we had one of our members who very generously donated a plot of land of hers that would have been reasonably accessible where we could put it. But it turns out 
one of our members, Lynn Brown, is on the conser- the Lyme Conservation Commission. And Lynn knew about two important facts that sort of came together. One is that the Conservation Commission manages Chaffee Wildlife Refuge, which is off Route 10 and borders on Post Pond. And number two, that they were in the process of planning and implementing an accessible path that would go from Route 10 to the bird blind, which is at the end of Post Pond, where you can have beautiful views of the loons and the eagles, depending on which camp you're in. (laughs) You support the loons or you support the eagles. Most people have trouble supporting both. That that was a project that was going to kick off this summer. So Lynn was able to be our liaison with the Conservation Commission and talk to them about, since they were building this parking area on Route 10 to support this accessible path and promoting more traffic in that area by getting people out on this path that they're building. Wouldn't it be lovely if we were to build a pollinator garden that was right at the entrance to this Conservation Commission project? And we got very enthusiastic support from the Conservation Commission. And so it was just this wonderful coming together of two projects, which I think are going to be very complementary. I think that's fantastic that you had the Lyme Conservation Commission behind you on this one. Tell me now, what will be the timeline for getting it all ready to go? So the first step is to prepare the land. And in order to do that, basically, you have to kill all of the stuff that's there so that then you've got a clean slate for planting. And we've chosen to use the no-till method. So we're not, you know, the other thing you can do is sort of partly kill it and then go in and dig stuff up. but that disturbs the soil and is not as friendly to the natural biome and all the nutrients in the soil. So what we did, and this is sort of the power of having the utility club network behind us, is we collected so much cardboard. We collected cardboard from everybody in town, including somebody who worked in town whose business produced a lot of cardboard. So we collected lots and lots of cardboard and newspaper to put over the cardboard. Then we needed hay to put over the newspaper that was over the cardboard. We actually found somebody local who had the hay, clean hay that we could use. She came out on our kickoff day for the project, looked at the project, listened to us talk about it and said, oh, you don't have to buy the hay, I'll give it to you for free. And worked with us as we prepared the land. So we had our first work day where Alicia Halk came and gave a talk about the importance of pollinator gardens and sort of how to create one. And then we all spent a lot of time taking tape off cardboard and taking out the staples and sorting out the stuff that had too much colored ink in it and putting it down to cover this area and then putting down the newspaper and putting down the hay. And now we sort of wait. We wait until we get ready to plant in the fall. And theoretically, we should be able to plant right through the cardboard. The cardboard is going to disintegrate into the soil over time, and we should just be able to poke holes in it and plant right through it, which I'm very excited about. Well, that is great. Now, you're planting in a site that is full sun, which is probably going to get pretty hot in the summer. Do you have a list yet of what natives you're planning to put in? So we have a preliminary list. We're just at the beginning of designing the garden. And that's really our next step and one of the most fun steps. But we're looking at both some small trees, some medium-sized shrubs, as well as 
smaller flowers and plants. But the, right now, the list includes witch hazel, dogwood, winterberry, mountain laurel. You know, those are some of the bigger things. Currants or gooseberries, butterfly weed and other milkweeds, you know, which obviously can tolerate full sun. Bee balm, black-eyed Susan, my favorite, the great blue lobelia. And then some smaller things like wild geranium, columbine, and whatnot. Things like Solomon seal, I think you're absolutely right, will not tolerate that amount of sun. And the way the garden is going to be laid out is it's sort of going to be in a horseshoe. So it's got a carved out area in the front that flanks the accessible path where we hope to have some seating, either rocks or a bench. And around the horseshoe there, it's going to look a little bit like a demonstration garden. So with some plants with some little signs that tell you what they are. So when you go there to sit, as you're starting your journey down the path, you can learn about some of these paths and a little bit more manicured. And then behind them, obviously, going up in size and scale. Our idea behind the garden is it's really going to have three goals. Number one, obviously, is to create a habitat that's friendly for birds and bees and other animals. Number two is demonstration so that people can come and look at it and say, oh, I like that plant. I like this plant. I like the idea of this area. I'd like to do one of these on my own. And third is educational. And so our goal is every time we have a work day, like when we put our cardboard down, to invite a speaker, to invite the community to participate so that people can come and learn and ask questions and take home the ideas behind this garden so that we're not just creating a single space, we're creating the beginnings of pollinator gardens, hopefully throughout Lyme and throughout the Upper Valley. That is fantastic. So tell me for you, what has it been like organizing a community effort to create a native garden? It is both rewarding and frustrating, as you might expect. It's really wonderful to get people to come out and work on our workday. We had 20 people there, utility club members, non-utility club members, and we were very fortunate that the fire department came with a fire truck and sprayed everything down with water for us. And being in a community like Lyme, and I think it's like many of the communities in the Upper Valley, just the level of community support is tremendous. The frustrating thing to me is you try and set all this stuff up and you kind of never know whether it's going to work or not. <laughs> you know, our workday started at nine and I got there at nine and I was the only person there. And I thought, what am I going to do if I end up being <laughs> the only person here at 930? <laughs> but no, no, it is one of the things that coming from the business world and, and going into more volunteer activities, you learn that the sorts of things that you had come to expect and the sorts of checks and balances and things in the business world don't always happen when you're in a volunteer community. But I would say that the level of enthusiasm, excitement, support, collaboration is just so incredibly high. It makes a lot of fun and it's why people come out and do these things. And I believe people will be shocked and surprised when they see how many butterflies are flying around that garden once it's established. I think it's just going to be Absolutely. phenomenal. And I think the kids yep. are going to love it. Yep. They're our next generation of gardeners. So I think the children will really be entranced with the beauty of the butterflies. And our plan is to have a kiosk 
that will have plant pictures and plant names and, you know, as well as a map of the accessible trail and tell you what you're going to find at the other end. And <laughs> I'll tell you, our members are already thinking about, well, should we put a second one in halfway down? I keep saying, wait, well, let's get the first one going first, <laughs> working first. But no, I, I think there's going to be a lot of enthusiasm for this. And we are registered as part of the pollinator pathway. And the pollinator pathway is a movement that's just getting off the ground where you can register pollinator gardens. And they're trying to create a network of pollinator gardens, no matter how small or large, to help. I mean, for example, the monarchs, when they travel, go from place to place. It's really fun to go and see their maps, see where their holes are in their maps, but to see your little garden there as part of this large network of pollinator gardens that are increasing really rapidly. And, and some of them are literally, you know, a triangle in the corner between two roads. Some of them are larger and some of them are very, you know, are a big meadow that somebody planted with wildflower seeds. But every little spot that gets turned from grass into a pollinator-friendly habitat is positive. On that note, I'll just give you a little aside. I have a little cottage in Canada. We had some construction done and I had this beautiful patch of completely bare ground. And my contractor said, well, we'll just put grass in there. You know, no. I'm going to plant clover and wildflower seeds. <laughs> and it's amazing. It's so pretty. That's great. Who knows? This could be just the first of several dozen native gardens in the town of Lyme. We hope so. Um, Northern Woodlands <laughs> is putting in a pollinator garden. Upper Valley Land Trust did some work on a pollinator garden at Lyme Hill a couple of years ago. And I think that one is more of a work in progress. But yeah, we I know a number of our members are putting in small pollinator plots at their homes. And we just are really looking forward to seeing it proliferate. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Northern Woodlands does for the common with native yeah. plants. It's going to be very exciting. Yes. One of the difficulties with native gardens is that they don't always look lovely. And you really shouldn't cut them down in the fall because you want it, them to propagate and seed. And they also, over the winter, are a really important habitat for bees and bugs that are the food for the bees and the birds and the other bugs and whatnot. And getting people used to the fact that in a public place, the garden doesn't always have to look manicured is part of the mind shift that needs to go on with these pollinator projects. Right. And fortunately, it's contagious. Once you get a taste of that little bit wilder looking garden, there's yes. really no going back. You're totally addicted and you yeah. have to keep planting more natives. So I um, absolutely agree. And <laughs> if you plant it right so that you have some things that stay green and some things that have different interest in terms of both foliage and branches and things and you, like the dogwood branches that become bright red in the winter that are so pretty or the witch hazel that blooms yellow in February, you know, <laughs> things like that. If you learn sort of the cadence of all of these different things you can put in your pollinator garden, you can have beauty the whole year. That's correct. So now as we wrap up here, I just wanted to say to you that the town of Lyme and the Utility Club is very lucky to have you. 
Well, I think I'm very lucky to have them too. When people wow. question me about why I moved from San Diego to somewhere <laughs> in, perceived to be in the middle of nowhere in a place that gets really cold, I just say, oh gosh, I wish I'd moved here so much sooner. So well, <laughs> thank we you are, very much. We're so glad you did. <laughs> I'd like to thank Lynn Parshall for joining us today. You can find out more about creating a community pollinator garden by going to our show notes. Join Americans everywhere in the One Third for the Birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now. Bye for now.